The Adam Crowley Show. What is that? It's there's some still. No, oh, there's some still stuck to my mouth. Get rid of it. I can't. It. It's awful. Okay. Uh, sweet. Uh, I heard a little bit of Harry Carey. Uh, uh, Adam Crowley uh, on ESPN Pittsburgh. You found the Crowley Show, where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call, or you can join the list of dozens. And follow me on Twitter, at underscore Adam Crowley. Tell your kids, tell your wife, we doing radio up in here. NBC's final round of the Open got the highest overnight final round rating since Tiger won at Royal Liverpool in 2006. And the last final round that beat yesterday was Tiger's win at St. Andrews in 2000. That's when he was going for the Tiger Slam. So yeah, bitches be watching that one. I don't know if this is saving golf. It's making people watch golf. But not necessarily because of golf. They're watching golf because of a phenomenon. Because Tiger Woods is something we've never seen before except for Jack Nicklaus. And, and now we're seeing it in the modern time. The fact that Tiger Woods, after everything he's been through, both self-inflicted and not, was able to contend this quickly upon this comeback is nothing short of staggering to me. And I can tell you how much sweat was on his brow. Uh, I can tell you every face he made from 11 on, because that's how intently I was watching it. Uh, I've not been gripped to a sporting event like that in a long time. The World Cup does it a little bit for me. It's spectacular because it's almost a novelty, because it happens only every four years. There's built-in nostalgia. There's so much nostalgia right now with Tiger Woods. It's making me think of Old Woods when he was just dominant. Yesterday, him walking around with the red shirt. Man, we've all been waiting for that for a long time. Phil Mickelson, when he's in contention, that's fun. It's not the same anywhere near at all. And we got to see Jordan Spieth. And Rory McIlroy getting a face-off with Tiger Woods. Funny thing is, we're an hour and three minutes into the show, and I have not yet once uttered the name of the guy who won the damn tournament. You guys want to hear something bad? Sure. I don't know what his damn name is. I forgot it already. It's something DiVincenzo. Molinari. Close. Mm -hmm. What was the first name? Francesco. Francesco. Oh, I was there. I had. I basically had it. Yeah, I mean, that's just a matter of a little bit of a language barrier. Yeah, I was in the Italian arena. I mean, I right there. The Coliseum, if you will. Yeah, who's that guy who won? It's a soprano, right? Yeah. Monopoly. Hey. Uh, <laughs> hey. Are you allowed to swear in a different language on the radio? Is that bad? What, is, what would the FCC say? It depends. Okay. We're good. I love watching this. I wanted Tiger Woods to win. Kellen, did you want Tiger Woods to win? You see, I'm not much of a golf fan, but if Tiger's playing and he's on, which obviously he was this week, I wasn't fully engaged. Like you said, that I saw on Twitter, someone tweeted out he was wearing a red shirt and the black pants, and I said, it's go time. I got to watch. Like that is, that is Tiger at its best right there. Kellen, we were looking for a simple yes or no. Well, I'm you, sorry. You failed. <laughs> uh, Whatever. Yeah, yes, it, I, was, I was watching. I was get excited. at it. Stop cracking it. I'm kidding. 
No, you're exactly right. Brian, and you were rooting for him to win, right? Oh, the whole time. I've been rooting him, rooting for him to win since he's you been have gone. Been. Yeah, I really have. I, I don't like golf without Tiger Woods, and I'm a fan of the game. Yeah. Yesterday was electric, though. It was amazing. You, you got the tense nerves, or at least I did. I got the tense nerves watching him waiting to putt. Like it was yes. all there. Like you're wa- like is it like I was living and dying by whether it was going in yes. the hole or not. And I haven't had that for years. And I was rooting for every other bastard on the course to miss. Oh, everyone. Every shot. Because it had to happen. I mean, early on, what he was at like uh he was at five under and and the field was at like seven. Yeah. Early on on Sunday. And and you saw him starting to drop and he was starting to make his roll. Every birdie counted. It was uh, I was vintage Tiger. He had a swagger too that you haven't seen in a tournament forever. I mean, he's hitting shots and walking up after the shot, like following the shot, just walking straight up. Like there was some Tiger going on on that course. The shot he had out of the bunker. Oh, and he saves par, and you just think that mf'er is back. Dude, I think right before that shot, I think it was Faraday who said it. He said something to the effect of, well, there's in all likelihood he won't be going for the green with this one. And I'll be damned if he didn't go for the green and hit it. I'm Immediately. like, oh, and I'm running around. Like, again, it's like it feels like a Super Bowl when he's in it because I want him to win so bad that I'm running around my living room cheering and like, yeah, Tiger! If you are the PGA, if you're these TV networks, are you rooting for him to come – Close, but no cigar every time. If I'm those guys, I, they probably lack a little subtlety in their thinking. So they're probably, they want him right away. Because this is what, this this saves golf. Not saves because it wasn't in, in, in any kind of real trouble, but it brings golf to all those people who are casual golf fans who haven't watched it for the last six years. And they're back, and that's money in their pocket. I think... They want it right away. They want that money in their pocket, and they want him to keep winning after that. Well, and and there's the other portion of the conversation, right? Because if he wins one next year, if he wins the next major that's played, okay, now all of a sudden can he catch Jack, right? That becomes the conversation as opposed to the conversation right now that's happening all over freaking sports radio today, which is will he ever win another major championship? It becomes can he win multiple major championships? Can he challenge for Jack? And that would be huge for the ratings as well. I just think that if he keeps getting close, it's just a carrot. It's just a dangling carrot. And with every passing event, it would allow for people to start viewing earlier and earlier. And like you mentioned, I think the hope is, okay, come out strong on a Thursday, be in contention from the get-go, maybe be in the lead, and and then see how many people flock. Because this is with him only playing well Saturday and then for a brief period Sunday. He didn't have a great tournament on, on the first two days. He no. wasn't terrible, obviously. But he wasn't he wasn't under par. And that's the thing with Tiger. Those first two days, I don't want to say they're a throwaway, but if he's in contention on a Saturday, if if he's within striking distance, that's when it starts to get really, really good. And the last few tournaments he's felt fallen off on that Saturday right. and just hasn't been there on a Sunday. But man, not this time. Not this time at all. I mean, there like again, it was vintage Tiger, and that's nothing but good for golf. You know, and I think the buildup, they've got a real opportunity here with the buildup coming up. When he does finally win his first major, like, this is great drama. He's slowly gotten closer and closer, and he's just knocking on that door right now. It only seems like it's a matter of time before he he notches another major. I mean, for sure. I'm hoping it keeps going and then he shows up at the Masters next year. Oh, my God. Comes and takes that whole sum bit. Oh, my God. Like, that's my glory. That would be my perfect scenario for Tiger coming back. Just do it. 
right down there in Augusta, come back and like, look out, bitches, Tiger's back. That and would then be all amazing. These, then all these young kids can feel what it's like to have Tiger on the prowl on a Sunday and know what it's like when you can't get that guy out of your head. Well, I think that that had a lot to do with Jordan Spieth's failures. It, it did, yeah. And Rory, Rory wasn't playing so great to begin with. I mean, he was having his troubles. That early. eagle made him look like he was in contention right. when he really did. Uh... Yeah, no, but he was having a rough day anyway. But again, these guys, and that's something to think. You get to see all these stars right next to Tiger. And look, he's not anywhere near his prime, but he's Tiger, man. Like like yesterday, you could have put that seven, eight years ago, and that could have been around for Tiger. He could have been in that very mix. You know, I mean, this is vintage Tiger. Imagine being a young kid called up in Major League Baseball, and you're a big you're a big phenom. You're a big prospect. And you got to play Greg Maddox at the end of his career. He's not throwing 95, 96 miles an hour, but he's still out there painting corners. And you know who the bleep he is. I mean, that's got to mean something. Jordan Spieth has been cool under pressure before in his career, obviously, to be as young as he is and to have had the success that he's had. But none of these players have had to deal with that, with this freight train coming behind you. And we know that Tiger didn't play the best final round yesterday, but it's the aura of Tiger Woods. It's the roar from the crowd. I mean, every single person who's there is rooting for the same damn thing. It's Tiger Woods to lift that claret jug. I mean, that's what everybody wanted to see, and you're almost cheering for everyone else. And unfortunately, and this stinks to say, but the Molinari guy, I couldn't care less if he wins or not. Uh, if anybody was going to win that tournament, I would have liked to see it be Tiger, obviously. But then after that, you'd like to see Spieth or McElroy, so it could have at least been one of the young guys holding him off. Well, it's funny. Molinari won that tournament because he was the only guy who didn't fall off. I mean, he yeah. was par, 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 par. Then he nailed a birdie. And and the thing is with him, I don't I don't know if it was language barrier, but maybe he didn't understand Tiger was on the course. <laughs> like, what? Hey, what? You know, what do you mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, Tiger, whatever. And he kept going, no problem. Everybody else knew Tiger was there. And Spieth went off a cliff. He did. That dude was bawling right before he, he kind of imploded. But once Tiger was in the mix, man, you know, he started falling off and started making some real bad shots. I would have watched the Open had Tiger not been playing well. I would not have been glued to it. I would have left and done other things and then come back and see the winner. But I I really like the Open Championship. I've talked about, we've talked about, the U.S. Open and how it challenges all these guys, and sometimes it makes them look like us. The great thing about the Open is you have potential for both, where if it's not windy, no matter where it is, St. Andrews, wherever, if it's windy as F, the scores are going to be ridiculously bad looking. But the courses in Lynx Golf are easy to play whenever the elements aren't involved, so you can get a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and some days you'll have the scores be low. Hey, some afternoons you'll have the score be lower than it was in the morning, depending on how the weather changes. So this might not be American. It might be me being a turncoat here, but I kind of like the British Open. I like the Open Championship. I like it the best. I like the Masters the best. Everyone loves the Masters the best. Yeah. But, eh, the Open's good. But it's good for showing off our uh, our product around the world. You know, it gets a little more international attention. And there were Americans all up in that leaderboard. Big time. I mean, it was, it was 9, 10 Americans in the top 12, and then Mullinair and McElroy. And he's from Northern Ireland, so I don't get along with him. Let me ask you this. I'm what just happened? curious. I mean, you watched it all weekend, and I may sound like a jackass saying this, but is that course really ugly? 
<laughs> Leanna said the same thing. Like, my it wife looks did. like a bad green, like a drunk ass greenskeeper just like got a golf cart with a rake and started like driving all up and down the fairways. It looks like it looks like the course has alopecia or something like that. Like it just did not look cool. It's like oh, it's patchy and like. Well, I think people with alopecia are cool. No, I'm, <laughs> I mean, it was Brian who said that. Should have let I did. All right, I'm not going to dig myself in a hole. But you get what I'm saying. You got these nasty. You're in a ass, hairy situation. You got these nasty ass bunkers. You got this patchwork like uh, fairway going on. The greens are all weird. I'm just saying, it looked like an ugly course to me. You didn't see that? It's not like you've been around for a while. I mean, it's not like you're green. Bet you all those people out there with alopecia are taking it rough. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey. The golf course does not look like alopecia. My mistake. It's an ugly course. It's a perfectly groomed course. It looks great. There is nothing wrong with it at all, Adam. I would not want to offend the course in any way by saying it might have alopecia. I'm sorry. You do need to apologize, I think, in a written statement to the course. I, w- I would be happy to do that. And if you do, when you come back in here tomorrow, all you need to do is apologize and you get a standing ovation. That's what I learned. Yeah, well, I, yeah. Josh hey, Hader. look, this happened yesterday. I was a lot younger. Um, I didn't have, I, I didn't know any better. I was immature, you know. But now that I know where I am and we're here on the Crowley Show, I'll never tweet anything like that again or say it. I mean, an ugly damn course. That thing did not look good. I think that's a fair way to get out of the situation. Yeah, thanks for bringing it back around, too. Yeah, it's my bad. And highlighting it. I probably should have just left it. Yeah, the alopecia alopecia joke would have just went by, and the alopecia society of Pittsburgh wouldn't have been up my ass in email already. Did I ever tell you the greatest alopecia story ever? No, you didn't. And it's kosher. We're good here. We're good. We're all right. All right. Troy Polamalu got tackled by his hair, and I'm in the locker room, and Ryan Shazier is giving an interview, and Will Graves from the Associated Press, friend of the show, friend of real life, he goes, Ryan, is that why you cut your hair so that you don't get tackled? And he goes, oh. he looks Graves dead in the eye and goes, man, I got alopecia. <laughs> no. Coming up next, that speaking wasn't of the Steelers, mine. it Woo! was not. <laughs> we got Ray Fittipaldo of the Post-Gazette. Breaking down the Steelers' offense. It's the Crowley Show. Adam Crowley. You don't know any of the lyrics? There are no lyrics. <laughs> but if I had to make some up, I would probably go with, Oh, Chechnya, oh, Chechnya, I love this freaking country. The Adam Crowley Show. Love that show. On ESPN Pittsburgh. It's training camp week. And for the last month or so, we've been spending some time every week with Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette to get us ready. Ray joins us now on the program. Ray, thanks for taking the time, pal. Absolutely, Adam. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, my friend. Let's talk a little bit about the Steelers' offense today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the defense tomorrow. But what gives you pause for concern, if anything, about this unit? Well, this is the one unit where, uh, I mean, the concerns are, are low compared to the defense. Um, the offensive line is coming back um, intact. Uh, there is a little bit of age there. So, I, you know, uh, Ramon Foster being 32 and uh, Marcus Gilbert and Marquise Pouncey 
getting up there as well, I suppose that would be a small concern. But then you look at the skill guys. I mean, Antonio Brown is in his prime. Le'Veon Bell is in his prime. And Ben Roethlisberger is still playing well at 36. So, you know, I suppose the depth along the offensive line might be an issue. But when you're looking at that unit, Adam, I, I don't see a whole lot to be concerned about. Here's one thing, and it's kind of against the rules here, because uh, I will be talking about the defense, uh, that I think could be concerning, and that's that maybe they'll just have to be too fine. Maybe there'll be too much pressure on them uh, if the defense doesn't figure it out this year. Yeah, and then if you look at uh, the way last season started, when, when Le'Veon Bell did get off to a slow start, you know, the offense wasn't carrying it, it, its weight um, like everyone thought, thought it would. Um, you know, the defense was actually playing really well, and helping them win close games early, and it wasn't until the second half of the season that the offense really picked up. But, I'm, you know, I tend to be in your line of thinking, Adam. I think the offense is probably going to have to be lights out um, for a big portion of the season if the Steelers um, want to be serious Super Bowl contenders. Um, you know, they, they've built this team around the offense really for for five years or so now. they got to start reaping some rewards. Um, you know, they got a ton of money tied up in the quarterback and in Bell and Antonio Brown, not to mention a lot of the high-priced offensive linemen. So they got to come through. I wrote about it in, in Sunday's paper. Um, you know, they keep racking up the yards, you know, 377 yards per game last year. But, you know, they were just, I think, eighth or ninth in scoring. So they, they got to be uh, – they got to find a way to, to be a little bit more productive in terms of the scoring um, a little bit more efficient in, in the red zone. And if they do that, I, I, I do think that they could um, maybe carry that defense a little bit more than they did last year if, in fact, the defense does need carried. Ray Fittipaldo joining us here on the Crowley Show. Uh, Ray, when thinking about Todd Haley being gone, uh, we shouldn't expect any scheme changes, anything like that. No, what is going to be different about him coming in? Well, I go back to, I, I think it was uh, Valentine's Day that Art Rooney held a conference call with uh, members of Steelers Nation Unite. That's, you know, that's the fan group that, um, you know, the Steelers cater to sometimes. And um, they had a conference call um, with members, and, and uh, he came out and said they want to see if they can improve the red zone offense first and foremost. But they were really, um, he, he really said they wanted to improve the running game too. And if you look at, uh, Maybe on Bill's yards per carry average went down last year. If you look at the rushing average overall, I think in terms of yards per carry, Adam, they were something like 27th in the league. So, um, you know, they, they really have to improve in that area. I think we all know um, that when this offense is right, um, it's going to be a passing-based offense. That's what they've been for the last couple of years. That's why Le'Veon Bell is, is so important to this offense because of what he can do as a receiver in addition to, to being a great running back. But I really do think, um, you know, if you look at the way the Jaguars got back on the map last year and you look at the Eagles, I mean, I, I really do think there's a place for an efficient run game in today's NFL. I'm not saying it has to be the basis of your offense, but I think if you have a good running game, that can only help your passing game. Let's talk a little bit about those backup running backs then. Not that I think that they'll have – much to do this year if Le'Veon Bell stays healthy, but uh, I think James Conner's got a lot to prove, and then of course Jalen Samuels, if he wants to be part of a possible rotation next year, uh, he's going to have to first and foremost make this club. Yeah, I, I think uh, Jalen Samuels will have a strong chance to make the 53-man roster 
Um, the coaches really like his skill set. Um, he's a fifth-round pick, so he doesn't have the roster made. It's not guaranteed, but I think they're going to like him enough, and I think they're going to try to find a, a way to get him involved in the offense as a rookie. But, you know, you mentioned James Conner first and foremost. Um, he was the backup last year. Um, he's coming off a season-ending injury. Um, he looked good in the spring, but he's a guy who's had injury problems in the past. So I think this will be a big camp for, for not only Samuels, but for, for James Conner as well. Um, you know, we all know that Le'Veon Bell, once he arrives, is going to get the majority of the touches, but should anything happen to Bell, James Conner is going to have to be ready. He's going to have to be um, the next in line to, to sort, of carry, you know, sort of carry the load. So big summer for James Conner. If he stays healthy, I think he's capable, but that's always been the thing with him. He hasn't always had a clean bill of health. If Vance McDonald's healthy, what kind of impact do you think he has over the course of the entire season? If he's healthy, Adam, I, I think he's the day one starter, and I think they they try to use him a lot in the passing game. Um, you know, Jesse James has been a really solid guy for them the last couple of years, but he's really been a starter because, you know, the various green signing didn't work out. And then you go back to last year, you know, Vance McDonald was brought in a week before the season started. Then he had a couple of injuries that really slowed his development, and he really wasn't, you know, effective until the second half of the season. So if Vance McDonald was healthy, I would expect Jesse James to be the backup. And I think, I, I really think that Vance McDonald could have a year where he has um, 50 or 60 catches. I, you go back to that Jacksonville playoff game, I think he was targeted like 18 times. Um, I think he ended up having 13 receptions. They, they really like him. He can stretch the field. He's got some speed. And he's got dependable hands, too. So, like we talked about with James Conner, health is a big issue with, with Vance. He, he's always seemed to, to have one or two injuries that have slowed him down in his previous stops. But if he's healthy, I think he could have a big year. I look at the Steelers' roster right now from the offensive standpoint, and I say, okay, Le'Veon Bell, that's good. Offensive line, that's good. Ben, that's good. Antonio Brown, great. But I do worry about a deep threat Outside of Antonio Brown, and that's not necessarily uh, what he what makes him all the money. Anyhow, uh, maybe it is James Washington, but he looks like he's built like a running back. And Juju Smith Schuster is not exactly a, a burner down the field either. Yeah, I mean that's something we're going to have to find out about. Uh, they, they drafted James Washington basically um, with with you know the thought of him being the next Martavis Bryant, a guy who can stretch the field and sort of be that deep threat, but they also, in the back of their minds, thought that he'd be a better um, route runner and a be- you know a better short uh, short guy than Brian ever was. So I think that's going to happen over time. But that deep threat um, that's been a really important part of this offense for the last couple of years, and they're going to need James Washington to to prove early on that that he can be that. Because if he's not that, then teams are going to load up on Antonio Brown. They're going to double team him, triple team him. And they might even pay a little bit more attention to, to Juju Smith-Schuster. So that's a really big question um, going into camp. I suspect James Washington is going to be okay. He's made plays his entire life. Um, I know it's, it, it's, it's the next level. It's, it's a whole new set of competition for him. But he was a really productive player at Oklahoma State. And I think just with some time, if people can be patient with him, I, I think he'll be a very – um, very solid alternative to what the Steelers had in Martavis Bryant the last four years. Ray Fittipaldo, beat writer, covering the Steelers for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, joining us here on the Crowley Show. The backup quarterback situation is one that's 
finally very interesting here in Pittsburgh with Mason Rudolph coming in. I think Steelers Nation is thinking, oh my gosh, let's see if Mason can take the job from Landry Jones. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Landry Jones uh, has been pretty good whenever he's gotten an opportunity to go in there as the backup quarterback. Plus, he knows the offense and the playmakers, things of that nature. Uh, do you think there's any realistic opportunity for Mason Rudolph to leapfrog him this year? You know, I, I think he's going to push him, Adam. Um, the Steelers haven't closed the door on that idea. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest reason is, I, I think, as you mentioned, Landry has been very solid um, when he's had to play the last couple of years. But really, Ben's been relatively healthy sure. since Landry came on board, and it's kind of been like that one-game stint, maybe two or three-game stint, I think it was back in fifteen where Landry had to come in and, 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 you know, really win a couple of games for them. But it really hasn't been that long absence. And I think where Mason Rudolph might come into play is if there's a longer-type injury, um, you know, much in the same way there, there was in 2004 when Tommy Max got hurt, even though that looked much worse than um, that it ended up being. But if there's that opportunity where maybe Ben's down for, for a month or, or six weeks, you know, Mason Rudolph might be a better alternative um, because he has more natural talent, yeah. uh, and that's all dependent upon him learning the offense and the coaches feel like feeling comfortable. But yeah, I agree with you. If it's a one or two game deal, Landry's probably going to be their guy. But I, I, I do think that Mason Rudolph um, would provide some interesting alternatives um, if they had to go with a, a longer term um, backup, so to speak. Is Eli Rogers going to be in the fold? Do you think? Uh, I think he's visiting the Chiefs today, and I think the Browns and Raiders are, are on the docket later this week. Um, I think if the Steelers really, really wanted him back, it, it would be a done deal by now. Mm. You know, they, they would have had something in place. I, I think they want to find out about Marcus Tucker um, this preseason. I, he's been a guy who's been on the practice squad, and I, I think he could be um, a guy who could fill Rodgers' role. And I, I think people forget, you know, Rodgers was really good back in 16, but once Juju Smith-Schuster came on board and was taking a lot of the reps in the slot, then Rodgers really became, you know, just really a a, a bit player. I, I don't know what he averaged, but, you know, it wasn't more than 10 or 15 snaps per game. So maybe if they're looking for that fifth or sixth receiver and they need a backup slot to Juju, maybe Marcus Tucker's that guy. Um, maybe it's somebody else on the 90-man roster. I'm not shutting the door on Rodgers coming back, maybe these other visits don't work out, and maybe the Steelers will sign him, but he doesn't seem to be one of their top priorities right now. Last couple of things now for Ray Fittipaldo. How many roster spots do you think are up for grabs, and how many players do you think there are trying to vie for those spots? Yeah, I mean, in any given year, Adam, it's like you know five to seven spots on the 53-man roster um, are up for grabs. I mean, most of the starting positions are already known. Um, you know, there, there might be a backup position or two where, you know, a guy can come out of nowhere and, and make the roster. Um, you know, I'm thinking of Rosie Nix a couple of years ago when, when he, he just, you know, he flashed on special teams and, you know, they had to find a way to keep him. But really, guys like that, um, there's just really one, two, maybe three of those a year. And, you know, for the most part, this 53-man roster was decided um, back in the spring, and they'll, they'll, they'll just – you know, try to fill in a piece or two here as the summer progresses. But um, there's a lot of competition. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying that there's not competition on this roster, but I think it's more so for for depth jobs more so than starting jobs. 
Ray, appreciate the time, man. Uh, like reading the chats, uh, read the preview uh, for some things to look ahead to as well. Uh, appreciate it, and we'll talk to you at camp. All right, I'll see you in a couple days, Owen. Yes, sir. Take care. There he goes, Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. When it comes to Steelers' offense, I think they'll be good. But I think that for the first time in a little while, they're an injury or two away of really being scared. Uh, Last year, you lose an offensive lineman, okay, you plug in Hubbard. And you're going to feel okay about it. And he played 10 games for the Steelers last year, and he was good. That's why he makes the money now that he makes with Cleveland. Uh, They don't have that guy, uh, that proven guy, this year. So I'm worried a little bit about the offensive line depth. And I really am worried about the Steelers having a legitimate deep threat. Antonio Brown's going to be that guy, fine, but you need somebody to suck coverage away from Antonio Brown. And Vance McDonald can attack down the seam, but he's not a guy who's going to get you on the boundary. They don't have Martavis Bryant. You've got Darius Hayward Bay, but I can catch better than Darius Hayward Bay, so it worries me. James Washington was a stud in college. A stud. But he doesn't make sense to me. I, I look at him and I don't get it. I don't understand. He's not fast. He's not tall. He's thick, and he can go up and get the football. But in the National Football League, you're dealing with better athletes than you are at a collegiate level, obviously. And the Big 12 defenses, they leave a lot to be desired. I watch one every day on Saturday. They're not that great. It's different. He looks to me like he's a guy who profiles to be on the inside, just like Juju Smith-Schuster. And Antonio Brown can flex in and out, but he's your primary guy, so he'll be on the outside most of the time. They don't have that guy unless James Washington can prove that he can do it at this level, and we're not going to learn that in training camp anyhow. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. All right, one more thing. There's also Ben Roethlisberger, and his home road splits have not been good of late. He's just another year older. Uh, eventually, he's going to take a big-time step back. Uh, eventually, all those hits he took early in his career are going to catch up with him. And you wonder if it's this year. And that's why the running game is so important. That's why the offensive line staying healthy is so important. Because if they're healthy and Le'Veon Bell's healthy, then the onus doesn't have to be on Ben. I worry if it does have to be on Ben, if he can still be the guy to carry the football team, or if he's just a distributor of the football uh, a point guard who you don't need to take things over. All right, now I'm really done. Except I'm not, because coming up next, it's the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. It's the Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. Are you putting me in a position to pull a Phil Kessel or something like that right now? Is that what you're saying? I think you did pull a Phil Kessel, and now we're calling you on it like we're calling Dunlap, baby. <laughs> Oh, man. Am I on the air right now? Yeah, you're on the air. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. When people talk about the Steelers... They are largely concerned with the defense, and for good reason. The defense last year down the stretch was just simply atrocious at times. uh, The playoff game, they were not good enough. Hot knife through butter the entire game. And down the stretch, they got torched by the Green Bay Packers, who did not have Aaron Rodgers. They gave up 38 points to the Baltimore Ravens, who don't 
have a good offense, frankly. And yet, I'm still concerned a little bit about the offense. We'll talk more in depth about the defense tomorrow as we get closer to training camp here. But I think too many people just assume greatness for the Steelers' offense because they've got Bell and they've got Brown and they've got Ben, but they have had disappointing stretches over the last couple of years where they don't look consistent they can't punch it in. And if they weren't scoring on the big play, they weren't having success in the red zone. And now I think the big play could not be there as much as it has been of late. Sammy Coach provided it the first four or five games a couple years ago whenever Martavis Bryant was suspended. Then he got hurt. He was never the same player, and they didn't have that guy. And it wound up costing him in the AFC Championship game when Ben Roethlisberger's throwing to guys like Kobe Flippin' Hamilton. Yikes. Not going to be the Patriots with Kobe Hamilton. I mean, go Razorbacks, but no chance there. Last year, Martavis Bryant is back, and he might not have played like a great player at times, but he provides... At least a decoy, because that some bitch can run, and that some bitch is tall. And when you're tall and you can run, the defense has to account for that. I think that's something the Steelers could desperately need this year. I think it's something that they could be missing. James Washington, I'm a big fan of, big fan, but I don't know if he's that guy. Darius Hayward Bay can still run. Last year they did the tracking of players, GPS thingy. Sound like an old dude here. That's my knowledge of the situation. And Darius Hayward Bay could still run faster than anybody else on the team. So he can maybe be a little bit of a decoy, but nowhere near to what Martavis Bryant brings. And if James Washington could get his head on straight and play football the way that he played at Oklahoma State, then they'll be fine there. But if they don't, if he doesn't, I suppose I should say, then I'm worried. I think Vance McDonald can be a huge weapon in the passing game. I think that might actually even affect Le'Veon Bell's contract next year because one of the reasons Bell's had so many receptions is because they haven't had a great tight end. Uh, you need a guy to be your outlet. You need a guy in the middle of the field. You need a matchup problem. The Steelers didn't have a great tight end matchup problem. Now they do if Vance McDonald stays healthy. His problem, of course, has been that he hasn't over the course of his career. And then there's that offensive line depth. No Mother Hubbard. And Marcus Gilbert wasn't healthy last year. Marquise Pouncey, earlier in his career, was seemingly never healthy. And you know guys are just going to get hurt. Uh, guys are going to get nicked up on that offensive line. It happens every single year. And really, even though Marcus Gilbert was hurt for stretches last year, Steelers avoided total disaster. Uh, two years ago, the Steelers avoided total disaster. They've been okay there. But eventually, that isn't going to be the case. Eventually, guys are going to get hurt. It's the nature of the sport. It's the nature of the position. So that worries me, too. But as I mentioned, the thing that bothers me maybe more than anything else is Ben Roethlisberger maybe taking a step back and having to be the guy and not being able to be that guy. That's why I've got the Steelers at 10-6 and six this year. They were 13-3 and three last year. I think they were a 10-6 football team. Way too many questions on defense. Way too many. And I'm tired of people just assuming they're going to be better because they've made additions. Uh, Terrell Edmonds still, by the way, yet to sign his rookie tender. So he might not be practicing from day one. That's a freaking issue. Morgan Burnett is going to get a shot at free safety, but his skill set is not of a free safety. So there are plenty of questions there. We'll get into them in more detail tomorrow, but 
Ten and six football team. Still probably division champs, but ten and six nonetheless. One thing we will focus on is the division. And I do think they'll be better. I think Cincinnati's gonna be an all right football team. I think Baltimore's defense allows them to be in a lot of football games, would not shock me if they're a playoff team. And then the Cleveland Browns go from a team that has won one game over the last two years to one that could probably win five or six games. That makes a difference. Steelers are still winning the division, though. Who am I kidding? And now it's time for the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. Saquon Barkley has signed a four-year, fully guaranteed contract worth $31.2 million. $15 million gets paid out immediately. That's the most we've seen from rookies in several years. And it's more money than Le'Veon Bell, if you look at the 31 mil, has made, I believe, in his entire career. So while Le'Veon Bell is probably upset about seeing this on one hand you got to think maybe he's excited on another maybe he uses this as a springboard to get more guaranteed money when he hits the open market next year now of course he's got more tread on his tires than Saquon Barkley that's what this comes down to but Le'Veon Bell's also got a damn good track record of being damn good Saquon Barkley's got a damn good track record of being damn good but in college and I do think that he has a skill set that's going to fit in the National Football League. I don't know that for sure. Uh, I can't sit here and say that I'm 100% comfortable with him being my everyday running back, making $31 million guaranteed when I don't know if he's going to be successful. And Le'Veon Bell's got to bring that up in his next contract negotiation. On one hand, he's pulling out his hair, and on the other hand, he's thinking, oh little leverage here, little precedent, little jumping off point. We'll see how Saquon fares. I think he'll be good, but keyword there is think. Josh Gordon's not reporting to Brown's camp, and I'm not going to speculate there. I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know what the problem is. Uh, they haven't necessarily been forthcoming. Uh, they released a statement the Browns did. They... Josh Gordon released his own statement, and this is the quote-unquote next step in his rehabilitation process, yada, yada, yada. That doesn't sound promising to me. It sounds like he's got a lot going on. And that means his focus isn't going to be football. And hey, given what he's had to deal with, maybe his focus shouldn't be football. It should be getting himself the human being right. But we've heard Jarvis Landry. The wide receiver, newly signed, newly minted by the Cleveland Browns, said they've got the best wide receiver core in the National Football League, and, well, not without Josh Gordon. Uh, That would be a big loss, as they say. So while I do think the Browns are going to be a 5-6 win football team, that certainly would hurt them if he's not around. Eric Weddle says that Joe Flacco is going to have the best year of his career in 2018. Joe Flacco in 2015 had a quarterback rating of 83. Joe Flacco in 2016 had a quarterback rating of 83. Joe Flacco in 2017 had a quarterback rating of 80. Other than the Super Bowl year, Joe Flacco's best season, 91 quarterback rating. He's also had a 73, an 87, an 80, a 93. I was wrong. No, that was Super Bowl year. 
in an 88.9 and an 80.3. Joe Flacco has never been elite. And Joe Flacco had the worst year of his career last year. 13 interceptions, 18 touchdowns, 14 fumbles. That means he had one less turnover than he did touchdown. So, respectfully, Eric Weddle, I'm going to have to disagree. I don't think that Flacco guy's going to pan out. You almost got to start feeling bad for Baltimore fans at this point. You almost do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why would you go that far? Look, I mean, look, I get it. I get it. I get what the fan base is. But their baseball team is on pace to be one of the worst. And I'm not just saying one of the worst. One of the worst in history. They got rid of Manny Machado, and now their $120 million man sucks. He just happened to luck out and go on the streak of streaks in a Super Bowl year and get the MVP, and now the franchise is just awful. They don't know who their quarterback's going to be. You got to feel a little bit bad for him. At least we got the Steelers here. I mean, yeah, the Pirates suck, okay, but we can live with it. They're the best team in baseball right now. The Pirates suck. Don't know if you know but that. But, yeah, we can live with it as long as the Steelers are doing what the Steelers do. I mean, just just saying, a little left. Got to feel a little better. They've I was got wrong. nothing good going on. Joe Flacco's worst year of his career was 2013, where he threw 19 touchdowns <laughs> and 22 interceptions and had a quarterback rating of 73.1. You know what's really, really, really scary to say? He's still better than Trent Dilfer. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Oh, there's no doubt about that. He's That's a great not, point by he's you. He's still not the worst quarterback ever. I can't wait too. till Joe Flacco retires and then talks about how CTE and global warming don't exist. Oh. If he really wants to follow in line with Trent Dilfer, that's where he'll be going, baby. It's coming. He'll have a mediocre broadcast career, too. <laughs> yes. Radio, I think, suits Joe Flacco. Although he's better looking now since he shaved the unibrow and grew the facial hair out and did the hair thing. But It's going to get harder as the years go on to fight back that brow, though. That's just going to, once you cut it, it comes back stronger. Joe Flacco had a completion percentage last year, 64.1, which isn't horrendous. It's in line with what he's done the last three years. But he was dinking and dunking. His yards per attempt was 5.72. That is nothing. His strong suit used to be chucking the ball down the field. Long accuracy. Early in his career, he had a... Average is 7.24 yards in the air, 7.41, and now it's all the way down to 5.72. I don't see any way he is better this year than he was last year, and I think it might be time for Lamar Jackson. That being said, they don't seem like they know what they want to do with Lamar Jackson, and they're kind of trying to figure it out. Uh, He was practicing at slot receiver today. Uh, This is just two days after starting the training camp in the backfield with Joe Flacco. And then there was a play where Lamar Jackson was on the field with RG3. I'm going to go out on a limb right now. Eh, it's not really going out on that big of a limb. But I'm going to say a hot take coming. Here we go. You think Joe Flacco's elite? I think he's the third best quarterback on that roster. How's that for a take? The division's going to not be great. Better than last year. Wouldn't shock me if one of those teams makes the playoffs. It would shock me more if it was the Ravens. Coming up next, the Buckos are setting me up to be an enormous hypocrite. And I want Tiger to win. It's a Crowley Show.